Hello, everybody. Welcome to another edition of the Value Guys Stock Talk Show with the Value Guys. I'm Val Hughes. I'm Momentum. And we are 40-year Wall Street analysts who have had to take on secret identities and go underground in order to provide you with a handful of stock ideas each week. You've seen our faces on TV. You've seen us quoted in the news, but our bosses would never allow our unfiltered views on the air, so we've disguised our voices and they'll never know. This week, we have approximately three good ideas, medium ideas uh, for you this week that come from uh, directly from Wall Street. But before we get to that, a couple of important caveats that my lawyers say I have to remind you. First, this show is for entertainment purposes only. That's not a guarantee. Secondly, Mo and I are professional analysts and portfolio managers during the week. We do a lot of careful analysis, 10-year uh, forecasts. We interview management teams, et cetera. We do absolutely none of that here, and we're very careful not to do any of it. And then uh, third or fourth, I might have lost track, we do not have your interests in mind. We have just our own interests in mind at all times. And fourth... Mo, I'll just speak for myself because I know you're training. Um, I've been heavily drinking. So with that, we've got an exciting show. Mo has uh, come off uh, of the boat or the golf course to join us. And I'd like to turn the show over to Mo and a little bit of uh, Wall Street news. Mo, take it away. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to start with uh, giving a little shout out to, to Tip Ranks. We talked about them last week. This is, tip Ranks is a web. T-I-P-R-A-N-K-S is a okay. website that tracks 6,700 analysts and it okay. tracks what kind of track record they have. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, since, since Val picks stocks that have all of these old school esoteric criteria like assets. You know? <laughs> like assets. Esoteric, yeah, you, uh, absolutely. Okay. No one cares anymore value in and I mean the fact is if it's a little boring if you're really a story stock guy you really don't want any fundamentals fundamentals just muddy the water they muck up the valuation if they're not quite where they need to be I and get they're it, confusing Mo. and the numbers are really little and I can't read most of them anyway so it's just way better to get stocks with a really great story so <laughs> ignore yeah. all the details absolutely. exactly doesn't mean the stocks won't go up though. So, so I, I've been starting the show by looking at Tip Ranks, which is a website. Like I said, they they track 6,767 analysts and they rank them based on how their stock picks were. So no, they're I'm, not paying you, are they, Mo? No, 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 no. I would. Yeah, um, <laughs> maybe they will. We love you, Tip Ranks. Or yeah. Um. So. They, they, they take a look at what, what kind of rating success you've had, how are your stock picks working out, and they rank you. And so I've been looking up, you know, who are the analysts that follow my story stock because I'm going to rely on them because if they make mistakes, their sales force, you know, they'll kill them. So if you've yeah. got five or six analysts and they're all recommending this stock and they've got nice big fat target prices on them and there's no fundamentals, that's kind of what I've been looking at. But I wanted to make a couple of observations that are like inside baseball observations about Wall Street analysts since we were both analysts. There's no home. books on it. You know, I think uh, people could look to uh, to you particularly, Mo, for some some thoughts here. There's there's nothing written on the subject. It's quite amazing. Well, here's here's an insight. So. The stock I'm gonna, you know, gonna talk about a little bit later on. I, I went to the tip ranks. I looked up who's an analyst on the stock, and I came up with Drew Cooten, and he's a Cantor Fitzgerald. 
And um, he's had 11 out of 11 ratings that have worked out for him. And his average performance is up 38%. Pretty impressive. Now, to be fair, he's a tech analyst and a rising tide lifts all boats. And so if you're in the right industry, you can, you can you know, pin the tail on the donkey and your stocks are going to go up. I remember when I was a tech analyst thinking about the poor guy that followed Jello stocks. I mean, you know, that's. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Your boss has a lot to say about what you cover. You didn't want to be the lumber analyst. That's for sure. But. Right. So last week we kind of dumped a little bit on Ellen Chen, who was one of the analysts that was, was looking at Amazon and she had only three of her seven ideas that worked out and her average stock was down 6%. You kind of wonder, how does somebody like that keep their job when their stock picks are so bad? And here's... here's <laughs> By the I, way, I didn't check, but I hope their attorney didn't write in or what happened. Well, yeah. In defense of Ellen and all the other people who, who are employed analysts, but they're not stock pickers, here's, here's an insight that, that most Wall Street buy side and sell side people know, but a lot of guys that are on the retail side don't know this. There, there are five or six or seven kind of analysts that institutions pay for, and they're not necessarily stock pickers. So when you're looking at an analyst and he's got a really terrible track record of picking stocks, that doesn't mean that he's not adding value to institutional investors. And here's a quick rundown. When, when you're a portfolio manager and you're thinking, I, I think I want to buy Amazon. The first guy you might go to is an industry guy. Now he may not be able to pick stocks, at all. But he, he will be able to sit down in one hour, give you the whole lay of the land of the industry, and you're going to pay him with commissions because he's bringing you up to speed. The next guy, yes, you might, absolutely. The That's next it. guy you might pay, and he can't pick stocks, is the regulatory guy. He's the guy or the woman that's tied into Washington and can give you the dope on what's happening on the regulatory front and is the coast clear, and you're going to pay that person even though they can't pick stocks. Yeah. I mean, the point to make is generally Wall Street is not in the business of getting paid to pick stocks. To go exactly. So you'll have a model guy. This guy yeah. doesn't know anything about the uh, regulatory front. He doesn't know anything about technical analysis, but, but he's the guy that's got the 700 page model and he's got every yeah. little division of the, of the company. Every store, model. every metric, every square foot accounted for. Absolutely. And you're going to pay that guy. And yep. then the next guy you're going to pay is you might pay a technology analyst. And what I mean by that is I'm thinking about investing and I don't know what supernova light wave emitter transmitter. A scientist who can weigh in on the chances of this thing even working at all, right? That the guy. Technical merits. Um, you might have the other guys that w was, and I was this guy for a while, is the banker, the guy that works with the investment bankers. He's Mr. Inside. And he knows, well, you know, the company's really saying this, but what they really mean is that. And I, I can't really say that in a research report, but I just had dinner with the chairman, blah, blah, blah. So in, in That doesn't in, still go on, does it, Mo? I well, hope not. It, yeah, maybe. It, I don't know. We can't say. I, anyway, no comment. Protection. Yeah. yeah, no so comment. In defense of, of, of Ellen Chow, when you're looking as a retail guy at, at, at analysts, you tend to think, what's their stock picking track record? Well... A lot of these people can be employed, have terrible stock picking records, but they're still adding a lot of value. Having said that, since we're only looking at stocks with no fundamentals, my favorite kind of stock, actually, no fundamentals at all. What? Who's doing that? I'm sorry. 
What? I mean, I was I was distracted. Who's looking at stocks with put that drink down? No, I don't. I oh, here it is. Yeah, there so, it is. are we doing? No, I do careful screening, Mo. This is serious, a serious part of my day here. Let's see, where's my drink? And, there we go. and when I when I get to a screen and underneath the balance sheet, cash flow, dividend, profitability and estimates page, it's blank. Then I know I'm really I'm 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 moving in the right direction, and I probably hit gold. Oh, on a story name, you mean? On a story. There's name. no fundamentals. I got you. Okay. So 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 I thought I'd kick off with a little observation about the general the general environment and how that might play to my stock. And sure, absolutely. We've been talking. That's been a theme for a couple of months. Here is, hey, we're in this situation. It comes around every hundred years. If you're truly a value investor, I mean, you're at the bedrock of why we're back, Mo. All of a sudden, it's chaos. It's chaos. It takes your type of mind, and you know, a guy I know that can come in here and talk to me to help people understand what to do. And I think this is the meat of it right now. What you're saying, Mo, is you've found you've you're on to something that could help our listeners perhaps, uh, you know, not talk to someone and instead they could be listening to this show. Exactly. And, and right? um, perfect. And, and get rich like, like you and, and I. And get rich. Now that's uh, the caveat is that we're, the entertainment purposes yeah, only. I mean, but, you, but, guys yeah. can, you guys follow our advice. You'll get rich. But you've we, managed it, Mo. So it's probably coming from a good source. So here's a shout out to a guy, David Linhart. He's a, he, I love reading this guy. He's got very interesting stuff. He wrote an opinion piece in the New York Times a couple of days ago, and he said it's 2022, right? Post-COVID, hopefully post-COVID virus. He may be in a stupor if he thinks that, Mo. Yeah. What, is, what does life look like? I see. And uh, he, 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 he said a couple of really interesting things. One of the things he said, and let me just pull something up here, um, one of the things he said was, we've had one, two, three, four big events in, in, in Val in my lifetime. And uh, they didn't really change behavior very much. He said that, you know, the big financial crisis, 08, didn't really cause people to sour on stocks, didn't really cause people to sour on real estate. And, you know, it was a big, big event, but it didn't change. It didn't change people's behavior the way the depression did. We, well, we like there have been a few changes, but I, I largely were, were still the same world we recognized. Yeah. We, have, we elected the first black president, and that certainly didn't usher in an era of racial conciliation. The 9-11 attacks didn't kill the airline industry. The Vietnam War didn't bring an end to you know, extended foreign wars without clear missions. But with all of those big, big, big events, it didn't change paradigms. He is suggesting that this COVID crisis could be a historical event on the order of magnitude of the depression, which changed people's behaviors for the rest of their lives. And we said last week that, you know, if this, if this virus reemerges, which it certainly seems to be doing, I'm calling you from the COVID, uh, the uh, hotspot of the world, Florida, we are the pandemic capital of the world. Um, if it if it continues to move forward and then and then it, it's compounded by a second wave in the fall, this could be a historical event on the order of magnitude in terms of shifting paradigms of, of the 
you know, the Great Depression. We said last week that there's a, there's a real, there, you don't have to be a genius to figure out there's a real paradigm shift in retail. I mean, I'm not going to go back to, to shopping in stores now that I'm using Amazon. It's basically the same prices in a store. It comes to my door the next day. I don't have to go. I got a better opportunity to get variety. It's cheap. Um, it's, the returns are super easy. There's a paradigm shift. And here's the second paradigm shift. And again, I'm going to refer to an article in the Times. And it is the, the paradigm shift of not having to meet people in person paradigm shift is being able to meet people virtually on uh, platforms yeah. like Zoom. Such and as that, we are doing right now. Such as we are doing right now. And yeah, I, and, and, absolutely. And you've heard of Mark Zandi, the economist at Moody's, right? He's in the press all the time. Yeah, but is he right all the time? I mean, but anyway, I have heard of him, yeah. Doesn't matter. Larry, <laughs> Larry, <laughs> he Larry is in the paper. not right all the time either, and he's yet these, the... Uh, the Chairman of the Economic Advisors in the White House, but ne 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 no editorials here. No editorials, but why I not? Zandi <laughs> has two hundred economists. I didn't know that the Moody's was even that big. Yeah, Moody's has a two hundred economists around the world who report to Zandi, and he said that they are much more efficient now than before the pandemic. He said, in the past, this is a quote from him: "I would often get on a plane for a short meeting with a few economists." The virus caused them to move these meetings online where we share screens with, other, <clears throat> with, with one another and we work on databases at the same time. He said, we've gotten used to it very quickly and like it. Absolutely, Mo. Absolutely. Everything you're saying is true. Absolutely. I don't see us going back because other businesses are having the same experience. Business travel is going to fundamentally change. Well, why do you think? Here's, I, let, let me just weigh in. I don't mean to interrupt, although... What have you? It's um, my tendency. Um, I think this stuff's been going on for a long, long time. And the first movers were already shopping online. The first movers were already working from home. Mo, you and I had careers where we were working from the road and expected to be at the top of our game from hotel rooms when you couldn't, you, you had things going, you know, on your dial up. I remember carrying a machine to send stuff that way. So, um, you know, society, some parts of society have been recognizing that this is a, you know, a, an efficient way to go right from the start. But what I would say that I think is the paradigm shift, and I sort of agree with your guy, although every new thing, you know, in 2001, you know, we were there, it was a paradigm shift. And now, you know, this gentleman says it's not a paradigm shift. It's a, they, you don't know. It's a time it always seems like it is. I would say what this is doing is it's accelerating trends. So online shopping, more convenient. Working from home, more convenient. Zoom meetings, Zoom's been around a little while. Um, and so I think that corporations are going to be looking at their expense line and going, hey, if we can sell stuff without sending a guy to Pittsburgh, why don't we do that? And um, I think there's going to be a lot of that. Not only that, the biggest impact, I think, is you've trained all the people with the most money, which are the old people, Mo. Um, you know, aside from the top 1%, that's not where the money is. I know they have money, but the true big money in America is just most of your older people. They've lived a life, they've saved money, they have pensions, that's where all your money is. And all those people thought they had to go to the bank 
to do anything serious or go to the accountant or do what have you. And while their grandson uh, was teaching, hey, grandma, you can do it this way. Oh, that's not how we do it. You have to go to a bank. Well, guess what? Those people have all just been trained and taught and learned that, oh, you can take a picture of a check and send it in. Who knew that? Oh, you can get money to do this. Oh, your phone can work. as So you've just trained an entire generation of the people who have the bulk of the money that they don't need to go to a bank. They don't need to go to their accountant. And to me, that's the lurching shift that's unprecedented in history is that you've just taught you know, 2 billion old people who have all the money that they can do everything a different way. And that's never, even when Columbus returned from the new world, no one even listened to him. So he, no one even knew what was happening. And you can personally attest to that. (laughs) Well, we both can, Mo. Um, I think uh, just for public knowledge, you are a little bit older than me. And of course that that uh, so you perhaps have traveled places I've never even dreamed of, you know, I don't know. Time travel. Yes. About the accelerating trend. Here's a Yeah, here's accelerate. A, it just accelerates. Here's a, here's a quote from Microsoft's chief executive. It said a couple, two days ago, we've seen two years worth of digital transformation in two months. How about 20 years in two months? That's what I think. I have copies. Again, we're secret identities. But in my real identity, I wrote a piece 20 years ago when the Internet was coming out. I think we talked about Amazon a couple of weeks ago, where I looked at all the take-up curves throughout history of all the great technologies, including the canal, the railroad, electricity, the toilet, all these I didn't go back quite that far, Mo. But I seriously, it was a good piece. You know, if listeners want to see it, I think the statute of limitations on who owns the trademark is over. But I spent a lot of time on it. I was very proud of it. All these take-up curves. And right now, the take-up curve of old people with money learning that they can bank online or do a lot of things online, not obviously go to the doctor isn't yet one of them, but um, is, 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 it's unprecedented. It took, this, it took the push-button phone 20 years to overtake the dial phone. And in this case, we've taught everyone in one day that they can only use a dial phone. It's, um, it's unbelievable, Mo. And, and, and uh, the pandemic, I mean, I, I, I'll be honest with you, before we did this show, I had never, well, I shouldn't say that, I had never really heard of Zoom until about six months ago when my wife, an avid tennis player, all of a sudden all of her tennis people are talking on Zoom. And right after that, she's taking a yoga class on Zoom. And right after that, she's talking with her mother, who lives in the Northeast, who's 90 years old on zoom and uh so thankfully here i am i'm back in the 21st century i'm on zoom well thank you zoom for the show you know we have a lot of people writing in and i'm excited to say a lot of people like the show and zoom is making it possible so it's it's really quite an amazing technology so when did you i mean you obviously you turned me on to it i vaguely i kind of use it but i just click on the the link that you send me and we're talking but when did you start using 
Well, I had, you know, dabbled with hangups. Quite honestly, for listeners, uh, I was trying to figure out a way for you and I to do the show years ago. And when, you know, when you moved, we moved. And there was, it was really not up to snuff for us to do this. Um, Google Hangups had a thing. Obviously, FaceTime's been around. But I think really what Zoom did was they made it easy. They made the dashboard easy. So I joined a firm a couple of years ago. Again, as listeners may know, if they listen in, to this old shows and zoom was uh, you know part of the package of tools we have been using as a firm to communicate with clients and and colleagues really more than clients I'd say colleagues clients like and that's changing but clients still wanted that personal meeting or the sales team felt that clients wanted the personal meeting or they persuaded somebody that the clients want the personal meeting but internally Meetings had gone virtual a long time ago. In fact, I just have to say, one of the things I got intrigued with a long time ago was a virtual world. It's called Second Life. And there's a lot of wacky stuff going on in there, of course, like all computers. But there's a whole world of universities, Fortune 500 companies, where you take on an avatar. And rather than fly to Richmond, you know, what have you, you 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 log in and go to a an amphitheater that's in uh, you know it, it's in Second Life and your colleague is sitting next to you and you all have headphones and you're there virtually and you save fifty million dollars by not flying two thousand people to an event. It's uh, oh. so I've been turned on to this for a while in terms of its economic benefits, but not. I mean the day to day adoption is obviously one of the benefits in effect of COVID. Well, you know, I'm going to ask you, I don't, did you take a look at any of the fundamentals? Cause there really aren't, but, um, I will tell you this. I, I did I, not, I, honestly, that's a definitely a momentum stock, <laughs> but I'm I, happy to weigh in when you're talking. I, um, I will tell you as a, you know, phoning in from the uh, pandemic capital of the world, um, we're having huge spikes down. I mean, huge spikes. I'm watching, I'm watching the data. On Wednesday, so I'm in Palm Beach. Wednesday, the Palm Beach County School Board, uh, there's eight members of that school board. They, they, they control 174,000 students down here. They voted unanimously, no school. You know, we, for the they, fall, no school. For the fall. It ain't going to happen. I mean, you, can, you, can, you, know, you can use the stick and the carrot with federal funding. It ain't going to happen. And well, I guess federal funding, you still aren't going to risk people's lives if that's what you feel is going on, obviously. And in, and in L.A., I guess a couple of hours ago, the L.A. and San Diego school system, that's 700,000 students said they're not going to start the school year. It's going to be distance learning. So it, it, it seems to me that if we have... This, these hot spots and these spikes and the numbers continue to go up through the summer and then that gets compounded by the potential for a second wave of this in the fall, companies that are benefiting in a morbid sort of way from, from the virus like Zoom, I think are gonna to continue to be players. So that's the big picture story stock of Zoom. We're probably a little late because the stock has gone, gone crazy since, since January. Um, which is where you circle back to the analysts and ask, so right, well, what are they saying? Here's unfortunately what they're saying. They got price targets that basically call for the stock to be flat. Almost everybody says it should be about a $250 stock and it's $260. Yeah. Um, it's, well, it's moved a lot. It's moved yeah. up a lot, obviously. And, and it's interesting that it, it, bizarrely, it tells you how 
easy it is if you have the right technology to, to create value and to create earnings. This company actually posts earnings. Um, and it's posted earnings almost from the get-go. And that's the good news. The bad news is it has a PE ratio of 1,600. So <laughs> That, well, um, you know, the thing about PE and E, and, you know, we have a nice episode on this, you know, Mo and value, momentum and value have their E times PE is price. So those are the components of any stock price. Um, but something like this, we were talking about in the shop today, we were talking about Tesla and it's multiple and <clears throat> what that represents and how, you know, I got one guy on the team thinking it's completely unrealistic and all the numbers are bogus. That's the E guy on my team. And then I got a PE guy that's like, well, but they're changing the world. Okay. Changing the world has an infinite value. So, um, and I think that it's a little bit of both in some of these names where for me as an E guy, where I could bridge the gap between E and PE because both teams are trying to get to the truth. It's not like PE is the entertainment division. They need money too. They need to have things work too. So one of the couple of things I'd point out in this discussion is if you have a very high PE for whatever reason, that's currency. You can now buy someone with a low PE, capture their E, and it's like you just like, remember, capture the flag. If you have a high PE, buy someone with E. Use your high PE to buy someone with a low PE. So that's a benefit. If you've created an amazing story, just like Tom Hanks or any of these people, it's, it's a little bit like Hollywood. If you've created it, use it. I'd say that. And secondly, I don't think PE guys are insane. So when you look at what a guy like Elon Musk can bring to the table, um, you know, in terms of eyeballs, think of all the professional athletes that become bankers at Goldman Sachs because they can fill a room with people with money. I mean, Elon Musk can fill a room with the hundred richest, smartest, whatever people in the world. And if he's running that company, some of that magic, PE dust is going to confer to him. And, and I give him credit for that. Even as an E guy, I recognize the value of being able to create PE. Yep. So here's the Tesla story. Um, you know, you, everybody has a, 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 an Android or an iPhone and uh, there's software updates. And, you know, usually in the afternoon, it says we're going to do a software upgrade or software update for you tonight while you're asleep and you say, okay. And it installs it and you wake up in the morning and you're good to go. They don't charge you. Tesla does. Tesla says, <laughs> Tesla says there's a software upgrade or an update, not even it's an upgrade. valuable. So. And, uh, and, and we're, and we're going to ding your credit card for $5,000. You're not going <laughs> to oh, an update to the car, you mean to the car. Yeah. So, so there's your razor blade versus. Oh my God. Blade. I did not know that. I there have you. not yet purchased a Tesla. Well, um, how about you? Are you, I, I've, uh, I played in some of them. So here are two fun Tesla stories. Everything in this car is, is, um, is customizable. It's like, it's like a giant app. Okay, you don't you don't have a key. You sit down. You put your foot on the. It's not the gas. You put your foot on the pedal and it goes. <laughs> but you can customize everything. So rather than have turn signals that just make a clicking sound like on most cars, you can you can you can make any sound you want. Of course, all the eight year old kids in my neighborhood 
I figured out that you could make fart noises <laughs> instead of hitting the right turn. And, and that's a definition of the problem with rich kids right there, isn't it? So they all, so they all have cars now that when you turn the, 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 the turn signal on, they, it's, it's just one fart after another after another. Now, this is a true story. We're at a, we're at a little beach shack hot dog place a couple of days ago. And my buddy says, watch this. And he takes out his phone and he does something. His Tesla is parked like around the side of the building. And it's like fetch. And the Tesla wakes up, pulls out of the parking lot, circles around the parking lot and comes right in front of our little beach table. And that is amazing. That is, that's worth the price of that car. Besides the fact that the acceleration is just insane, but it is a very cool car. Although, yeah, you're right. I can I can see where people would be a little bit worried about the valuation, but it's a very cool car. So, finishing on on Zoom, I, I'd be watching this stock. I'd put it on my radar screen. It's expensive. If it pulls back, I think this is something that's going to be that's going to be a, a leader in this technology, and it's going to be there for the next five, six, seven years because we're going to see a paradigm shift. I don't think we're going to have this this virus diminish in the next year or so. I mean, I think we're going to have that happen, but I don't think when it happens, people are going to be getting back on airplanes. I think that's pretty problematic for the airline industry because a lot of travel has been business travel. And I know as a banker, how much of that business travel is pure, unmitigated waste. Um, so I think it's not good for them, yeah. but it's certainly good for Zoom. Okay, well, is that your... Um... Is that your uh, pitch on Zoom? You notice there were no numbers. I did. <laughs> That's what I'm noticing. Okay, so let me weigh in on Zoom. I know nothing about this other than thank you, Zoom, for us being able to do this show. I certainly agree with that. And I just want to remind listeners that unlike some recent shows, I've been heavily drinking. Okay, and it's actually true this time. As Mo's been chatting about Zoom, I've been consuming I've been uh, watching an adult it. beverage and yeah. <laughs> so, but let me just say a few things about this. First of all, it's wildly expensive, but before we get into the valuation, let's say a few things. First, the return on capital here, it's not infinite. It's 6%. And I think a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about a heater company. They distribute heaters. They do double this. Um, now this one has 300 million in revenue. Um, this is quarterly, so that annualizes to a billion two. The market cap <clears throat> on this thing is uh, so a billion two annualized revenue and two billion in total assets. The market cap is seventy four billion. So I don't know how much of a market share they can get in communications, but when you see a market cap that's so out of whack with revenue, Again, E times PE. We don't have to just assume it's insane, although that's a go-to, I would say, and maybe a safe bet. But if you want to do a little homework, just go and see, okay, well, how much business could they really get? Mo just mentioned airlines. What if people stop flying? I haven't prepared enough for this show to tell you how much airline revenues are, but to the extent that companies are paying salespeople to travel around, there's a lot of money there that they could deploy in other places. So I think it's reasonable to look at something like half or a third of the uh, business airline travel budget 
and point it to Zoom calls, but there's gonna be four competitors. Microsoft has come out with Teams, Google is reformulating their Hangouts, which was always a dopey name, and Apple's always there with their FaceTime, which again, doesn't seem to be translating over into the business market, but 73 billion for a market cap might not be crazy if you can find a market that they're gonna take money from and Mo just pointed one out. Aside from that particular wacky valuation, um, I do have some other numbers here. I mean, as a company, and I just lost sight of it, so I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be, uh, here we go. Gotta find the right button. As a company, you know, they're not doing too badly and they've got some economies to scale. Their return on assets is 4%. Again, not heroic, but on the path to something. A year ago, it was 1%, so clearly economies of scale are kicking in. Uh, their debt is zero. That's a very good number. Um, and um, let's see, their operating margin here is, um, you know. 30%? Well, this is, says 4%. That's trailing 12 months. So yep. in any case, what I would say is they're at the very early edge of having a lot of nice metrics. They're just moving to their, you know, scalable uh, maximum economies of scale. They're not there yet. And if you can identify the market that they're going to take share from, which is really airlines and lodging, that's, this is for selling stuff. And, uh, you know, if you can replace in person with Zoom, there, you might be on to something, Mo, but it certainly is a story stock at this yeah, point. I, I, I agree with you. And I got to be honest with you. <laughs> when you said 77, almost 78 billion market cap, uh, like I said, I wasn't really looking at numbers. Now well, you may not that. need to be. <laughs> that's, a, that's, a big, that's a big market cap. That's a okay. big market cap to grow into. But it's an interesting name, and I'd, I'd sit it on the side, and I'd keep an eye on it for whatever reason you see any pullback. I'd go and I'd take a look at this. Uh, I'd take a look at this analyst track website, see what the see what the axes on the stock are saying. That's a uh, tip ranks, and um, you get a consensus that you've got another leg upside on this. I'd, I'd take a look at it, but it's a it's it's topical. So. Did you come up with another exciting? Well, um, or railroad, railroads. I know you were big on railroads. For a while. Well, in uh, in 1917, you know, railroads would have been a good purchase uh, opportunity. But um, well, we've been doing a lot of work in the shop about what's apt to happen in the future. Of course, that's what we need to be doing. Financial statements only tell you about the past, and the past has never been more different than the future. Than well, since 1920. Yeah. So we've been studying that past period. And the good news from a high level is that in that period, which was exacerbated by people coming back, 2.5 million coming back from World War One, so a lot of new bodies in the labor force, that wasn't quite so bad. I mean, 600,000 people died. That's horrible. And there weren't good GDP numbers. But the numbers that come out of New York State and some other jurisdictions that were recording economic data. There are some estimates around unemployment and a couple of things like that. And unemployment went from 1.4% in 1917 to a peak of 11 in 1920. Again, all those returning soldiers. And right now we're at 11, down from 13 
Um, it's an interesting parallel. Uh, the difference is I would say is that this pandemic, the disease itself, the virus itself is not as deadly and there's data on that. And we're also more prepared. There's more information. Uh, there's been, despite the fact that it looks uncoordinated, it's way more coordinated than it was in 1918 simply because of mass media. And so um, I would say after we've done this homework, I'm pretty optimistic about the, the period ahead. I'd also point out that these payments that the government is sending to people at home because they can't work, in some quarters, that seems like a bad thing and the deficit, et cetera. But if the na nation's duty is to protect us from enemies, and this time the enemy isn't uh, you know, a foreign enemy other, that's a human, it's a foreign enemy that's a disease. And if we you know, think about those payments as paying soldiers to protect us, then uh, it might be a stretch for some listeners. But the fact is that kind of spending by the government on anything uh, to promote the safety and well-being of the nation ends up being a positive. And the decade of the 20s was very strong um, as a result. And uh, I'm not sure the 70s post-Vietnam is a good example. There were other problems there. Uh, but um, I have a feeling after doing some homework around the 1918 pandemic that we're in for a period of decent economic growth ahead. And so, with that in mind, Mo, um, I've done some different screens in the past, you know, Price to Book, Ben Graham, what have you. This week, just said, you know, what's down a lot and what people are scared about? Leisure. So I did a screen on leisure. How about that? What do you think? Okay. We, we, we did golf a couple of weeks ago, and that was uh, kind of in that, in that area. Well, a couple golf names came up, including a really interesting mystery from a few weeks ago, which was who has the ticker symbol for golf? You remember that? I remember we couldn't figure out why. Well, you know, for, 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 for a Callaway. We now yeah, know. Yeah. For Callaway. So I would just say that again, one of my goals on this show is to do as little work as possible. And it was proven because within literally a few minutes of posting that show, um, we got an email from a gentleman named George Kelly, who just happens to be the analyst at Roth Capital in Newport Beach that covers Callaway. And he points out that if we had just maybe looked at, you know, he's a very serious analyst. He does a tremendously deep dive on these things. So um, his effort included the very difficult process of going to Wikipedia. And he found out that... Eli is the name of the founder, Eli Calloway. How about that? George Kelly. So here's a shout out to George Kelly, who now works at a firm that, you know, with a good friend of mine. But um, so that's the answer to that. And the other answer we have from that show, Mo, is who owns the ticker golf, G-O-L-F. Right, right. Yeah. So I did a screen on all the leisure stocks that are down a lot. And then those that are um, toward the lower end of the enterprise value to revenue. And I got 14 names, including uh, golf, which is, I can't even pronounce this, Ashuj Net Holdings. So, 
That's very nice, Ashes Net Holdings. Now, uh, that one didn't quite look cheap enough, so there were a bunch of other names on this list, and I'd encourage listeners to go look at some of them. A lot of them are um, quite interesting. Brunswick, Boating, um, Callaway, you talked about last week, Hasbro, Toys, Kids Aren't in School. What are they going to do? Are they going to read books? No, they're going to play with toys and games. Hasbro has a lot of Disney relationships. Um, there's some apparel guys that are cheap. Um, but the couple that I honed in on here, Mo, were um, first Johnson Outdoors, which um, does motors for um, recreational oh. boats. Wow. Yep. And, uh, and they do fishing and, and water recreation. That's their primary uh, business. And then the other one I liked was, um, let's see here, um, Mattel, which of course is a toy company and is a longtime rival of Hasbro. You might bo own both so you don't have to bet. But let me start with a little bit on Johnson Outdoors, different than Johnson Controls, which makes, you know, heaters and things like that and uh, air conditioning controllers. But Johnson Outdoors, ticker J. O-U-T. They have an enterprise value of about 800 million. So it's below the radar of so many analysts. And they're not doing well right now because of course year over year numbers are a little soft. But what I like about it is enterprise value to revenues is just over one. Enterprise value to EBITDA nine times. Listeners know I like to do the inverse of that. 11% cash on cash. If we bought the company right now, we would get 11% cash on our money. And, uh, you know, in a world where interest rates are 1%, that's not a bad place to start, uh, in my opinion. Um, the balance sheet here is, um, you know, pretty good. I like to look at a ratio, again, listeners could look at, called the Altman score. That's fancy. I think Mr. Altman was a professor. Really, it's just the current ratio kind of, you know, made a little fancier trying to predict near-term bankruptcy. Almost zero here. Debt to equity, zero. Okay, I like that. Um, and so um, the balance sheet is terrific. Returns. Now, the last few months, it's been a good period for them. And the three years have been a good period. Um, there's a story here around demographics in general before you ever get into, um, you know, the economics of people shifting from uh, hotels and resorts to private boats and uh, RVs. But the valuation here alone makes this very interesting. Um, let me throw out a few other statistics here. Again, trying to do as little work as possible. The gross margin is 46%. That means they pay $55 to make something all in every single expense. And then they charge you a hundred dollars for it. Doesn't seem fair. It doesn't seem fair. It's not fair unless they're doing something proprietary, which in this business, there's a lot of proprietary around ownership of dealers and you know, who sells your stuff and things like that. So return on assets here is 11%. That's another sign they have an advantage. I'll call it a monopoly, but it's really more of an oligopoly. Return on invested capital, 16%. Who's earning that except criminals? And again, they're doing it legally. I don't want to make this have any, you know, aspiration, you know, throw any, uh, you know, 
aspirations here, but th that's a lot to earn for making motors. And it's because they have an oligopoly. It's uh, economics 101. So I like this one a lot. I don't want to get even more into the weeds, but it's cheap. It's cheap compared to history. It's cheap compared to other people in the business. They have no debt. And the theme of leisure has been the one that's worked a long time. That's why I like this category. It's been hit right now because it's discretionary. The market feels people can back away. But in terms of the long trends of history, humans have been trying to be at leisure for 10,000 years. Everything they do is so they can have a day off. It's in the Bible, for God's sake. So leisure has been a good category. Johnson Outdoors is at their almost 30 year peak in return on invested capital, which again, I've done as little work as possible. What that tells me is they're at their peak of whatever they're doing that's proprietary. Horsepower per dollar, uh, control of the distribution channel. I can't explain it all, Mo. And their debt at the peak in the year 2000, again, if people have an old memory about this company, in that year, they were 60% debt to capital now there's zero. So this company's been completely transformed over that period. Johnson Outdoors, J-O-U-T. What do you think of that, Mo? I like uh, whoever named the ticker got it right. J for Johnson, O-U-T. <laughs> Very creative. Yeah. Very yeah. Well, as you pointed out a couple of weeks ago, I mean, there's a whole department on doing. How much do you think that the guy got a bonus for thinking of that? I'm telling you, so you think that yeah, that's brilliant, sheer brilliance. It's memorable. Anyway, I got unbelievable. Okay, well, if people aren't sick of listening to the show by now, I've got one more you could stick around for. And uh, what about you, Mo? Do you have a cal You have a, a meeting or something, or how are you on time? I'm late, so you can take it all by yourself. You're late. Are you? I'm late. Where are you heading off to? Nap time. Nap <laughs> time. Okay, let me do this quickly because honestly, how much homework I've done, that's really all it's worth. So um, I mentioned the screen I've done. Why don't you just give us ticker price and a ticker symbol and target price? <laughs> well, I don't have a target price. So Mattel, M A T, 10 bucks. Market cap, three and a half billion. This stock and Hasbro, they go back and forth. Really, in some regard, it's all about who is friendliest with Disney, who has the you know royalties on Disney properties. Right now, Hasbro has a lot of stuff going with Disney. That's so good. And Mattel has had a lot of problems with CEOs, Barbie, Bratz dolls. It's a nightmare. So again, a value guy, that's kind of why I like it. All the potential for Mattel is seems to be over at Hasbro and the stock at the peak of this name. And I've owned it in the past. I don't own it now in all, you know, candor here. It was $44 in December 2013. Now it's $10. It's at a low. It's at a, I think, a 30-year a low. Mattel, maker of, what do they make? They make Hot Wheels. And in some kind of coup that I guess the Federal Trade Commission wasn't looking, they acquired Matchbox. Talk about an amazing monopoly. 
two automakers. They control such a giant share of the toy car market. Barbie's been on a negative trend for a long time. Um, so they do have to come up with other things. And generally the thing is um, they, did, they struck out with electronic toys. So there's board games and Hasbro has an advantage there. But what, I think, tell, me, tell me one more time the ticker. M-A-T for okay. Matt. And what I think, my thesis is that these things go back and forth between Hasbro and Mattel. Right now, all the mo is on the Hasbro side. They've got all these wonderful relationships with Disney. And so there's almost no expectations in Mattel. It's completely, you know, washed out in terms of their core business, Barbie, Hot Wheels, Matchbox. It's stable, but slowly going down. But here's what I like about it. Enterprise value to revenues, 1.3. Now, enterprise value to EBITDA is 24, which is too high for me, but it's a little bit depressed. Um, and I think that, you know, they're, in effect, that's a cash on cash. It's a roughly 4% cash on cash yield. That's not great. But I have a feeling that right now, because of the circumstance there and the circumstance it has, bro, and the way Disney operates, that in the next two to three years, Mattel is going to win some nice deals from Disney as those royalty relationships wear off with Hasbro. And that's the upside here. Now, if you don't believe that, which you may not, it's probability based, I'd say own both toy companies. They're a little bit down. Uh, their business is down. Toys R Us went out of business. A lot of toys are sold retail and that's been hurt. But um, that whole area in terms of post-COVID and what's going to be going on, kids that aren't in school, they're not just at home doing school. I have kids. They're not just doing that. So I think these toy guys are worth a look, Mo. And the valuations um, are, you know, not super great, but um, I think, you know, worth a look, worth, worth paying some attention to. Okay. Two names. That works. Okay, so um, let's take a little break. I just feel like we've been on. I want to do a little break. Sometimes listeners need to go fresh in their drink or whatever. So we're going to be back right after this. everybody we're back I hope you used the break wisely um, Mo did you um, use the break wisely I did I took a nap perfect perfect and of course ready to go all right well it is an hour later I hope people have stayed tuned um, so this is the part of the show we call walking through national economic trends but because we took so long with the previous part of the show and I'm a little sleepy and Mo's sleepy you know we're not you know it's 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 
it's late here where we are at, I don't know. But in any case, here's a couple of things I like to point out. One, we're in mid-COVID, the economy is you know, not great. Everyone's expecting a roughly minus 20% year over year decline that's gonna be reported here soon. I think that's not crazy. I'd go a little lighter than that. But if you take away the entire hospitality business, um, which you know we largely did leisure. It's about twenty percent. You look at the and um, unemployment numbers, credit card numbers. It relates to that. But remember that annualizes minus twenty. That get back to normal here is minus five year over year. So I just have a couple of numbers here from um, from the economy. Um, this isn't Fred this week. I just pulled up some data from Y charts, but I've got some good numbers from June 30. That's pretty recent, Mo. Um, unemployment, 11.1%. That was the reported number. Now, three months ago, it was 4.4. Um, but last month, it was 13.3. I think a lot of people thought that was going the other way. That's a good number. I got a couple other June 30 numbers. Manufacturing, this is pretty cool. So manufacturing, it's a weak number because they just ask a bunch of people and then they report what percent of them feel good. So admittedly, it's a little squishy. But one month ago, 43% of these are basically, you know, people in charge of ordering manufactured goods at their companies, largely Fortune 1000 companies, one month ago, 43% said they feel good about the business. Now, June 30, 52%. Now, three months ago, which was in March, 49% said they felt good. So we're on a good trend there. Uh, I have, I think, one other number from June, and a bunch of these are gonna get reported very soon. These are all coming directly from the Commerce Department, this particular report. Um, producer price index. So I think this number, 117.3, one month ago, 117.5. So that's in effect producer pricing, which would reflect inflation, if we were in a very soft demand period, we should expect deflation. That's what came out of the 1917-18 pandemic was a couple of years of deflation. We're not seeing that right now in consumer prices or in producer prices. So that's a big positive for the economy uh, going forward. And then the last one I'll say, this is still a May number, but I'm very excited about this. Housing starts. Um, are up about 4% from April into May and early reads on uh, building permits and things like that look like housing is gonna continue to be good. So um, so that's it, that's our show. A um, Couple of good ideas, couple of talks about the old times and some really super useful high level economic data. So there you have it, Mo, what do you think about that? I think it's a good show. We wrap it up and I'll see you same bat time, same bat channel next week. All right. Good night, everybody. Good night, Val. Good night, Mo. <laughs>